Hey fam, welcome to the You Can Sit With Us podcast. My name is Lexi B and I am your host and executive producer. Let's get into it. An instigator on how to thrive in the future of work, Sally is the CEO of Forche, a firm that focuses on how people can do their best work through executive recruiting, project-based work, and improving the system of work through increased diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Forche is proud to be a B Corporation, a for-profit community using business as a force for good. A speaker in two TEDx talks, Sally is a frequent keynote speaker on the future of work, women in leadership, diversity and inclusion, and the science of work-life blend. Sally has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, BBC, Forbes, Yahoo Finance, Huffington Post, NBC 11 News, ABC 7 News, just to name a few. Welcome, Sally. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm so excited to have this very necessary conversation with you today because I know that I've heard all the advice about work-life balance from different people around the world and all of it is controversial or (laughs) extreme. So I'm excited to get the real tea. Before we get started, I have to ask you the questions that we ask every guest, which is one, what is in your coffee cup? What are you drinking with us right now? I'm kind of a classic latte girl, but what makes it a little special is I put cinnamon on top to try and feel like it's always Christmas. (laughs) I love that response. I put cinnamon on top, so it's always Christmas. I love that. I love that. Christmas is my favorite time of year as well. It's also like during my birthday, so I think it's a very important and divine holiday for multiple reasons. Yes. Yes. Great. Yes, yes, yes. And where are your people from? Where are you from? And how does that affect the work that you do right now? Mm, such a great question. Um, I feel like I'm from everywhere. So I was born in the South in Tennessee. I was raised in the Midwest. I started my career in New York. And now I live in Northern California. Okay. And then I lived in Europe. And the, my original older people were from Europe. Like a mutt. Many countries oh. in Europe. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I feel like... Um, it allows me to attune to accents and cultural nuances and appreciation for food and curiosity for, for life. So I feel like being a mutt has served me. Mm, mm, okay. So you are the CEO of your own corporation that works with businesses doing amazing things, but you are also kind of a guru on this whole concept of work-life balance. So my first question to you is, How do you define the term work-life balance? Because Sally, everyone defines it differently, okay? How do you define it? Yeah. Well, first I have to always change it because I think balance is bullshit. Okay. Um, So it's for me, it's work-life blend. Okay. Um, And the reason I started speaking about it, which to your point, you you see as guru, I see as like an explorer. Like that's how I see Mm. it. Is, is because of, you know, the shit hit the fan. Like I was addicted to work. 
And then my brother died in a plane crash and I was about to have a baby. And my mom was like, how do you rethink this workaholic thing that you have? And Mm. so, so I come from a place of trying to figure out why I was so addicted to work um, as a Midwesterner who moved to New York, who moved to California. Like I felt like I was trying to do all the right things with work. And what Mm. I didn't recognize was I was kind of doing all the wrong things for life. So the okay. way that I define it is that you don't have regrets when you're dying. Like that's how like, like on your deathbed, did you feel like the work that you did in the world had the purpose and the fulfillment? Um, not every day, let's be clear. Like there are some rough days for all of us, no matter what your job is. Um, but that the blend of work and life for you leaves you without regret. And that's mm. going to be different for each of us. But for me, I was having babies at the time and I knew I wanted to have no regrets about how I raised them and the time I spent and feeling that pull that was socially woven, right? Because one of the cool things about work-life blend is that the way that we define it in, let's say, the Midwest is different than New York, is different than France, is different than the Philippines, is different than South Africa. And so by being an explorer... I was able to sort of kind of step back from the soup I was in, which is like, if you work all the time, you're important Mm. and step back and say, what actually is it for me ignoring or trying to separate myself from the cultural norms that I had grown up in. Mm. Tell me more about these cultural norms as a fellow Midwesterner. Tell me more about these cultural norms in regards to work. Okay. So I felt, I'm curious what your experience was. I felt in the middle It was like, put your head down, work, don't complain, um, and very modest. Like, if you got any accolades, it was like, no, 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 I'm just lucky. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I moved to New York, it was work all the time, talk about your work all the time, and it kind of defined you. Um, Mm. And then when I moved to Northern California, it was, was, um, you know, work all the time, but also be an athlete (laughs) (laughs) And, and also eat perfectly. Um, and so it's just really fascinating to, to see these different cultures. And then of course in the South, when I go back to the South where my family was from, so like family ruins were down there, like no one talked about work. It was like, we need to talk about food. And so, so anyway, I think it just it very much depends on, you know, who your people are and then, mm. and then how do you move in the world? And so therefore I like the complexity. I embrace like, this is not a simple answer. Right. When we talk about work-life blend, and I love that, I I do think that work-life balance is a horrible way to say it. I I love this term that you're giving, work-life blend. So after you have this epiphany, right, when your mom is like, Sally, you need to get this together, (laughs) right? Um, As you are becoming a mother and having these babies and recognizing like, oh, this this is not working for everyone. What was your next step? I think obviously the first step is to actively decide this ain't it, y'all. Yep. Right. Then what's the second step once you define that what we're doing right now is not going to work for the blend? Yeah. So um, for me, it was looking at data because when I'm an N of one, it's like, how do, how do I see myself more clearly? So I had to get a larger sa- you know, sample of data. So okay. um, I happened to be working near Stanford. So I hung out a bit with the Stanford people and the professors and, and because I was interested in exploring a company that would address this issue. Um, There were a fair number of professors who happened to be female who were like, great, we need more female entrepreneurs. Um, Let's give you more data so that you can 
diagnose the question or the problem. So I got this data that basically showed that women in particular were having this issue. I wasn't alone, that there were mm. a number of um, women at the time. Now, thankfully, it includes men who want to be modern parents, um, but wanted to figure out how do we raise children, take care of aging parents, um, and also have jobs that you know meet our passion and our skills and our experience so that people weren't quote, opting out of the workforce. And in particular, it was women. Mm. Which is very interesting because I think that we live in a society, right? Capitalism, how it's created is this idea of trying to make you think that the harder you work, the more you will be emotionally, psychologically, and mentally fulfilled. Yeah, <laughs> Because that is, right. that is the machine that is capitalism, which is why I'm like, we should dismantle that. But that's a separate conversation. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm yeah. like, all y'all are getting played. But anyway, um, so now we saw the data. How do we now activate this? How do we use the data to change people's minds? As you said, like really change cultural narratives around their relationship to work and in many ways to money, right? Yeah. So I find it to be a data plus a story solution. Okay. So, so the data opens up, in my experience, the data opens up people to realize, to get outside of their own head. Because when you tell someone something, including yourself, that is contrary to either how you were raised or someone who you respect, what they've said, you almost reject it. You're like, that's not true, right? Mm. But when you see a larger data set and it's not personalized, you're like, oh, this is actually what's happening across this culture. It's a more of a like, oh, right? So, so the data, I think, does spark an openness to then hearing a story and what really changes hearts and minds is a story of like that you can relate to. And so I, the reason I tell my story and I often still cry when I talk about my brother dying is because people understand that life does end early for, for people in your life. Like I'm not alone in experiencing that someone left life faster than we thought. Right. Yes. And so when I tell the story and how I almost didn't see him for the last time, because I was so addicted to work, People relate to that and they remember it. And so when I give a talk on this issue, I start with the story and I put the data in the story. So it isn't about Sally's story because that's an end of one and you can just swipe it away. But I show the larger data set, but I use me as an example in the story so that it's real human and they can relate to it. And then typically, I mean, years later, I will have people say, I remember your story. Mm. And if I had just presented the data, I think it would have been an intellectual conversation, but I don't know that it would have changed actually like really hit them at a heart level. Mm. Mm. So what's the story? Can you tell us the story? Yeah. So <laughs> you're sweet. <laughs> uh, so basically I was working all the time for a startup mm. and my husband was working at McKinsey working all the time and we thought we were doing the right thing working all the yeah. time. And um, it was my mom's 60th birthday coming up. And so my brother and sister called me and said, you should fly back to Minnesota and su surprise her for her 60th birthday. And we'll rent a limo, which Midwesterners, as you know, never do. We don't spend money. It is um, a big deal for the limo, Sally. It's, it's a, a big, big deal. deal. Like, you've <laughs> done this thing, Lexi. Yes. So, um, so I was like, oh, that's adorable. But I am like five or six months pregnant. I am getting ready for my maternity leave. I have super important business meetings. I was like presenting to the board about their stock options and no one wants me to miss that meeting because I'm in charge of their stock. And so I was like, this is, I'm too important 
to go to mom's birthday party. And my brother, who had had leukemia when I was in seventh grade and learned this fancy phrase, carpe diem, said, you know, fucking, I don't know if I can swear on your podcast. <laughs> go like, forth and be great, Sally. Yes. <laughs> he was like, fucking get on the plane. Like, carpe diem, mm-hmm. like, get on the plane. And so, you know, I went to my boss and was like, I should do this thing. And he, Lexi, saved me. Because for him, it was just like a Wednesday. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of his direct reports came in and said, like, I have this thing. And he was like, you should go. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, you should go. And if he, he hadn't said that, I probably wouldn't have gotten on the plane because I was so, like, dedicated to my work. So I go mm-hmm. to the plane. I go to the, my mom's birthday party. It's fantastic. I fly home. Two months later, my dad sits me down, calls me and says, sit down. I'm like, what? Mm. Your brother's been killed in a plane crash. And so that was the last time I saw him. Mm. And if I hadn't have gone, I mean, I just can't imagine what life would be. It would just be bleh. Mm. Um, but, you know, I was eight months pregnant, went flew black to the, to the crash because he was a pilot. That was his job. Um, and the plane was still burning because it takes days for the, you know, to stop burning all the oil. And my mom said to me, like, I know you're dedicated to your work. I'm a feminist. You're about to have a baby. And I just lost my baby because my brother was her firstborn. Mm. Um, And he's, she's like, just rethink it, just rethink it. Um, so that was, that was like the, like, Oh God, you know, it just, unfortunately it's that cliche. And the reason these happen is because they're true. Is like, you have to have something really wake you up to just say like, you've got to do this differently. I'll speak for myself. I needed that. Mm. <laughs> and it's, you know, and so I named my company after him to, to like have it be the North star and have turned something really shitty into something that could serve others and therefore try to make meaning out of tragedy. Thank you for sharing that. That is really, that's deep and that's impactful. And I can definitely understand why people come to you years later, like that, that story really hit home and made me rethink my, my life choices with, with that said, then how, what are your tips and tricks? How do we, we we think that, right? So Mm. once we just actively decide, Hey, this is not working. Yeah. Yeah. How do we, how do we unwork yes, the plan? Yes, yes, how, yes. Do we, how do we roll back, Sally? How do we roll back? Yeah. I know. I know. So, so starting with the data, mm-hmm. uh, the number one thing is sleep. So Matthew Walker, who's a neuroscientist out of Cal, wrote a great book called Why We Sleep. Um, and before that, there was also great data. So I had data, you know, years, many years ago when I started this journey, 20 years ago, actually. Um but sleep is the most important. And we tend to sacrifice sleep. We tend to be like, I'll sleep when I'm dead. There's lots of hilarious things of like, you know, I'll catch up on my sleep over the weekend or whatever. Anyway, that's all bullshit. Um, the neuroscience is very clear that when you sleep well, which is a minimum of seven hours. And when you nap, your productivity actually goes up, your creativity goes up. And most of the people listening to your podcast are probably judged on their creativity and problem solving over like putting widgets on, you know, a tractor. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> so, that is true. Right? So mm-hmm. so for the first thing to understand is that sleep um, deprivation does not make you a hero. It actually mm-hmm. makes you, your IQ go down, you know, you're less creative, blah, blah, blah. So sleep. The second thing is friendships. What, I, what I've seen in the data is that most people prioritize, you know, their relationships with their partners, their children, their parents, their work. And then somewhere in there, might, you might get exercise and you might get friends. Um, but the, the data are that from a longevity perspective, the highest correlation to having a long life, because if you want this work-life blend, 
one, you want, you want to like live well for a hundred years. And the second is you want to actually make it as long as you can enjoy this ride is friendships, the relationship. Mm. And we tend to sacrifice those. Um, so making times for something I call a mul- well, I don't call it a multiplier. I do call it a multiplier, but I, I stole it with attribution from Jennifer Ocker, who's a professor at Stanford business school. A multiplier is when you combine things that actually increase the experience of it. So example would be if you and I went on a walk around Lake Merritt, uh-huh. so we would be outside in nature, which is really good for your brain. We would be walking also really good for our brains and bodies. And then we would be talking maybe about friendship, maybe about work but it would be a multiplier. It wouldn't be, I don't have time to go outside. I don't have time for a walk. I don't have time for friendship. It would be, how do you combine certain things that allow you to feel more expansive about time and life versus doing things as like these serial, like one-offs. Like now I'm going to go exercise. Okay. Now I'm going to go see Lexi. Okay. Now I'm going to like, right. So it's reframing time and finding ways to cheat time using science, (laughs) Uh Uh, which is very different than multitasking. Multitasking is when you switch your brain from one thing to another and it actually exhausts you and lowers your IQ. So don't do that. Um, Most of us know that data, but it's very important that the language is clear. That's not multitasking, it's multiplier. And that's, there's a difference in how the brain works. Like what, what things combined make a better experience. Um, Mm. So relationships, uh, the last thing is exercise. I would say like, that's a key thing for People like a lot of people say, I don't have time for exercise. It can be super short, but again, for longevity, for actually feeling good in your body, for sparking new problem solving, like divergent thinking, exercise is key. So how do you just find smart ways? There's like a seven minute app where you can just do, you know, a high impact training that doesn't take that very long, but it's like the equivalent of 45 minutes of a run doing this seven minute app. Um, And it's, you know, I think it's like $2 on your phone. Um, or just going for a walk or whatever, like knowing that you moving your body is, is how you were born to live in this world. (laughs) Right. And that tends to be a thing that we self-sacrifice for work or feel like we don't have time for. So it's kind of these essential human things and there are little tips and tricks. And I have a couple YouTube videos when I've given talks that they've put online, like women in products did a video, this session that I did where I show the hacks and I did them slowly. Let's say like, I wasn't like, you know, like the next day or the next year, like it's taken years of building these habits, but it's, it's like seeing the the soup that you're swimming in (laughs) and saying, okay, this, this for the next three to six months, I'm going to focus on sleep. And then after that, I'm going to focus on exercise. And after that, I'm going to focus on relationships, but it's a build. It's not like a, it's not like you take one out. It's like a getting stronger in all domains of your life so that your life is actually fulfilling in, which includes work but that has all these other facets. Hmm. I want to go deeper into what you said about friendships. And the reason why Sally is that I think that everything you said about friendships is true. You have to invest in your friendships. And I also think that trying to find friends as an adult is one of the hardest things in the world. Ah, I don't think we've discussed enough about, because you know, think about it when, when you're little, your, your parents, guardians, whoever, your cousin, you know, your mom, your dad, your stepmother's pig, whoever is in your life, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's they, a- they take you somewhere and they go, have fun. Don't yeah. bite people. Yeah. And that can be school. That can be a music class. That can be swim lessons. But you're always in a position growing up where you are surrounded by a group of people. And the one thing in common is your age. 
Yeah. And of course, there's other things in common, but it's like, okay, so we're all four. So we are in the four-year-old music class, right? right. <laughs> Makes sense. Um, and then you grow up and you continue. Okay, so we're all 14 and our hormones and testosterone are raging. Oh, we're all ninth graders. Got it. And then you go to college and very similarly, it's like, oh, well, we're just all 18, not knowing what's going on. And we're all living in the same building known as a dorm. And all the adults are like, don't kill each other. Right. <laughs> right. 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 And then you become an adult and there is no meeting place. There is no re- required congregation time yeah. of people going through what you're going through without someone just saying it out loud. Yeah. 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 I felt this. So I recently became single and I felt this like my kids had aged out. Like I would meet people at, at my kid's school or through with my partner or whatever. And, and anytime I would have this chapter change, like kids leaving the house, become, you know, single. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I felt that like, okay, where do I find my people? Mm. Um, I, I, for me, and I don't have data behind this. So I always mm-hmm. say when I have data, when I, for me, it's, it's following what lights me up my sunshine. So it's like, oh, I'm interested in singing. So I start talking to people about singing and then, you know, oh, you should talk to this other person who sings or whatever. Similarly, like if when I first moved to San Francisco, I was like, I'm going to run a marathon for the first time. So I'm going to do it through team and training, which, you know, raises money for leukemia because my brother had leukemia. And then I found a ton of friends through that. So I find that like activities, things that you're interested in. And also here's the big thing, being intentional, like saying to people, like, oh, I'm new to this thing. You know, anyone that you think I should meet? Because um, I wanted to meet, you know, new, uh, like date. And so I'd ask my friends, like, who do you know that I should date? And my mm. world just became bigger because now I started to have single girlfriends because a lot of the couples will always stay as couples. And so I started to say, like, who who out there is single? Who wants to, like, go see music at the in the city or blah, blah, blah. And inevitably, I feel like when you have the intention and you say things out loud, the the universe conspires to, like, solve that for you. Right mm. through individual humans who are like, oh, you should meet my friend Carla. She loves to do music. She's single, and you guys can go to comedy clubs. Oh, you should, you know, try this dating app and blah blah blah. And so, through the intention of saying, I want to talk to more people, and and being clear about what those people might have in common, like comedy clubs or music or whatever. Um, I found I have navigated these new chapters in that way, but I don't have data behind that. That's just my sample of one. I agree with that. I think, you know, the, the, the cool kids, the kids on the TikToks these days are calling it manifestation. Okay. <laughs> you, know, right you know, sadly, we have to sexify the words, right? Woo. But in my Midwest growing up, I'm just like, just tell people what you want. Yes. Closed mouths do not get fed, right? Yes. Right. Yes. But manifestation, because that just yes. sounds more billboardy and PR. And I love that. Yes. <laughs> so going back to work, life blend. How can someone do, do we have to sacrifice things in order to have the blend? Like, should we just be honest and be like, yo, in order to blend this stuff up, right? Some things got to go and some things that stay have to be dialed down or dialed up. Is, is that a conversation we have to have with ourselves? So I'm going to get with a yes and no on that. Or actually okay. I'm gonna go no and yes. I'm gonna, I'm okay. Gonna, first I'm going to start with the controversial no, because what I don't like is what is said to women. It is mm. never said to men is that you can have it all, but just not at the same time. That's another mm. trope that- I've heard that a lot. I've heard uh-huh. that a lot. And I've heard it from really important women in, in the world who I'm like, don't say that because you don't say that to men. Like, mm. so don't say that. That's my first no. <laughs> okay. 
Okay. Now, where the yes comes in is for sure, can I run a startup that's venture capital with seven children, be the primary parent in the classroom, also take care of my aging parents, and then exercise and see friends? No. So anytime okay. you like take something to the extreme, you realize, okay, that's that's not it, right? Mm -hmm. But going back to the like, what is it? So I decided I'll do a startup but I'm not going to get venture funding. I'm going to self-fund so I don't have these bosses telling me how fast I have to grow it. I'm going to work Ooh. out of my home so I can also be in the classroom. Not every classroom, not every event. Like you just find the decision points of like what for you is the work-life blend and, and what are your non-negotiables. And then the most important thing, I think if, it, if it's a parenting situation, is having a partner and, and a surrounding um network. So even if you are single, a surrounding community where you're not doing this alone, there are better ways for us to think about work-life blend than us being a hero trying to do it all. Like we are in relationship with other humans. And so how do we creatively, again, to your point, open your mouth and say, Ooh, I could really use help on dinners, or I could really use help on this strategy deck. Who could help me on this? And just, but, but knowing that work and life can be a dance that's either super fun or mm. totally fucking exhausting and mm. you're the dancer so like if you don't like the dance floor change the dance floor like you know i've had some friends who were in palo alto who moved to park city because they were like the dance is too intense in palo alto <laughs> you know yeah and so so it's just it's just kind of stepping back taking a beat and saying what what is it for me in this chapter at this point and knowing that the dance is going to shift and you might put more energy to one versus the other, but to just not accept the tropes that like, that you're limited. You're not limited. You just have decisions and priorities to make and those, and those will shift over time. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about the women part, especially, cause we, you know, I think that this conversation is poignant for all genders, but they're very clear. But when we talk about women and how supporting women, how women are most affected by this topic, right? Yeah. I was recently listening to a podcast and I have to find it and put it in the show notes for this episode where this woman basically said that the interesting thing about feminism and today's version of feminism is that she said, I'm 35 years old. And when I was growing up, I had a mom and a dad, I had brothers and I had other male figures in my life, you know, cousins, yep. friends, uncles. And she said, none of them told me that I couldn't be what I wanted to be. Great. And she said it was very interesting because I was keenly aware that my mother, when she grew up, a whole lot of people told her what she yeah. could not be because she was a woman. Yeah. So she, so this woman's part of the first generation of women that were told you could literally be anything. Right. Right. And then she said, so I grew up, I was, I, I became what I wanted to be. I forgot her job. She said, I got married to a man who's wonderful and I had kids. And I realized that in the conversation around feminism, we have trained women to know they can be whatever they want to be. And every time someone says you can't, we just tell them they're haters, let them go. Mm -hmm. Right? She said, but we forgot to train men. <laughs> in order for them to be active in the feminism fight, yeah. they also have to do other work. So her point was, is that I'm now a, you know, mid thirties woman and have this amazing career. No one can say that I can't do everything, yeah. but I'm extremely exhausted yeah. because I'm expected to do all the stuff in the house. 
Yep. I'm expected to be the Beyonce of my career right. and then come home and be a stay-at-home mom That's because right. no one has taught these men that I can't do both. That's exactly right. She she is and she has, there's data to support that. So um, there, so Stanford Clayman is the research gender research arm at Stanford. They mm-hmm. publish data. They collaborate with MIT, University of Minnesota, all the places. We all share data to say what is the gender differences? What are the expectations of, you know, who takes care of whom? And predominantly still, people who identify as female when they are born, mm-hmm. like expect to be both the caretakers of the elderly and the yep. caretakers of the young. And, and men have the same. And it's a slow, it's just slow change. You know, it's um, mm-hmm. it, even though, so what she experienced was the intellectual uh us congratulations and i support you but not the actual emotional and practical how do we make the system change and that is where a lot of women have gotten stuck and exhausted is intellectually a lot of people are feminists Mm. but emotionally and practically they're like wait a minute so wait you're not going to do this you're not you're not going to sleep overnight for the to get into the preschool because like my job is priority right is the male or whatever and so yeah it, it comes down to these everyday decisions that are are in the system of living that have to be changed. Mm, mm. So it sounds like you're saying we need some sleep, first of all. Yep. We need some actual friendships, find the friendships and actually put effort and invest in those friendships. And if you choose to partner with somebody in life, yep. you need that person to actually be a partner and not just the cheerleader of like, yes, you got this queen. Or exactly. exactly. But also like, and because I support you, I do not expect you to do all of the things all the time. That's right. And and two other resources I'll point your your crew to is mm-hmm. Brené Brown and Adam Grant. Mm-hmm. Both have very practical ways of mitigating the the double um, bind that women are in around caregiving. So they have like questions and approaches that that you can use from a work perspective or a home perspective. Um, that help you get to like, how do we divvy up, you know, duties as, as parents, if we're parents or caregivers of elderly or, you know, just managing the home if you have pets. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so there are like practical strategies. If you, if anyone wants to Google it, th- that exist from these brilliant researchers who've said, we see the problem and like, we need tools to, we can't think our way out of it. You actually have to like step-by-step step, create that intention to manifest with a little checklist <laughs> and be able to have an open conversation about how do we do this? How do we juggle this so that, but so that everyone thrives and that it is a virtuous cycle and it doesn't feel zero sum. Cause anytime it feels zero sum, you're going to have a power struggle and it's, you know, that's where it's like spiraling down and we want to spiral everybody up. Mm. How do we communicate this to our employers? Right. How do we, if, if for for the record, if we communicate this, maybe it's one of those things where we have our epiphany moment, right. As I call it the, this ain't it moment. And then we just say, you know what? I got to get a new job. I don't want to have a conversation with y'all. Like it's just too emotionally taxing. I'm just going to get a new job and start anew and put that boundary, you know, at the new hire orientation. Or is there a situation ship where we can stay at our employer with our manager and actually have this conversation about our work-life blend and how, what was happening yesterday yes. <laughs> did not happen today. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so um, I work with people who want to who want to change the system at work, 
and I and I call on data that helps them do that. So Leslie Perlow is a researcher from Harvard Business School, and she has an approach that is basically about team-based boundaries around work. Because if we if we individualize it, if we say the women want flexible work or the women want part-time work or whatever, we we lower the status of their jobs and careers. Mm-hmm. But if we actually take a team base, which has any gender identity, and all the team members agree to the same boundaries around work, and those boundaries can be different depending on the company. So Leslie Perlow's done you know research with global companies, with tech companies, with healthcare, with like there's all different kinds of companies. So you can't say, well, my company can't do that. It's like yes, you can. <laughs> you're you're creative. You you just figure out what are the boundaries. Is the boundaries like no slack or internal communication after a certain time? Is it no meetings on Wednesdays? Is it no email after blah blah blah? Like there are different boundaries that the team can decide on, and and when the team agrees on these work life boundaries then it isn't an individualized issue and we all do better. Like mm-hmm. she has data to show this. So again, like for people who are like, want to double click on that, Leslie Perlow, she's a, she's a badass. Mm. What can managers at organizations do to encourage people to do this with themselves? Cause it sounds like this is actually some internal work first. Yeah. Um, it's more, it's more internal of like, you need to figure out what you need because everybody's different and every house situation is different. And then you need to communicate that with me. So what can managers, leaders, executives do in order to provide a culture where when they say, yeah, work-life blend balance is great, but what can they do to actually activate that and behave in that? So everyone knows that the company like, oh, this person actually means that, that I have some autonomy on my time and flexibility and things that I want to do. I love that question. I think the most important thing is to ask open-ended questions. Um, and and let, let me give you the no before the yes. The no okay. is, uh, you know, asking personal questions about their personal life. <laughs> okay. So many people do not want to talk about their personal life, um, but they want to be able to talk about the boundaries that allow them to have a personal life, right? Hmm. So sometimes people get confused that in order to feel cared for, that a manager has to like dive into your personal life. No, no, not, not necessary at all. Um, what the manager can do is say, how can I support you in whatever boundaries would, would work for your work-life blend? And let's talk about that both individually, because maybe there are some individual situations where it's like they have a heart out every Tuesday at blah, 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 right? And they don't have to explain if it's a medical situation or whatever, because that's their personal stuff. But asking individually, is there anything I can support you on? And then collectively as a team, how do we have this conversation back to the Leslie Perlow data so that it isn't an individualized? Because the reality is we are both individuals and Mm. we're part of a team. And so it is a yes and conversation where you have to have both to exist well, not it's all on the individual or it's all on the team. It's like it's we are complex humans and we need to have both conversations. So it sounds like we also are talking about company culture because you also need a company culture that supports that, that really supports that um, in order for someone to thrive in that before they just decide to tap out and go get a new job. Yes. And I will say I have seen like very large tech companies have very different cultures on different teams. Oh, yes. So, oh, yes. So you, you know, one large tech company who shall remain unnamed could Mm -hmm. have a very bad rap. But then there will be these individual leaders who are just, you know, 
badass and figure no understand how this works and they become a magnet where everyone wants to work for that leader in that organization Mm -hmm. so so even if the company culture let's say is out of your hands like let's say it's the very large top 10 company yeah you're not gonna you know change the culture um and if you have a leader in that organization who is enlightened and sees data and makes better decisions then work for that leader right Um, if you're at a smaller organization and you can influence culture it can be your competitive advantage. Like we know that people choose this more than they choose, you know, compensation and all the other things. So mm-hmm. it is legitimately an incredibly smart business culture move to think about this. And if you don't have influence over it, you know, find the leader in the organization that, that still gets it. And if not that, you know, find it, find another place. I also think that we should acknowledge the privilege in being able to have a work-life blend. Yeah, it's true. It's, um, it's, it's, I yeah. would say it's mostly for the professional class. Yes. Um, I, you know, I think when I speak, I'm very clear that I'm speaking to a group of professionals, um, you know, biotech, high tech clients, tend, you know, retail, but it's usually the, um, like the gaps and the Levi's that it's like the professional side of the retail, not the, the store workers. Yeah. But, Typically, those leaders do think about at the store level how do they how do they do this, and it comes back to the system of work. So, so it, it, there there are uh, different strategies, and again, back to Leslie Perlow and Adam Grant and Brené Brown, they have tackled both the professional uh, working class as well as the you know hourly workers. Yeah, because as, as you speak, I'm actually starting to think about when I selfishly started thinking about work life blend. Yep, and. It wasn't until I had the financial privilege to do it because Sally, I don't know if you know this, but my first job out of college, I was not making enough money for basic bills. Oh, so I was going to work and I was working from seven to 3 PM in my tech job. And then I would leave work. And then I was college counseling till like 9 PM at night. Oh wow! And so I was working an extra 20, 25 hours a week, not even at my day job. So I could just not even save money y'all, but just like, yeah. Pay my bills, right? And yeah. then when I got to a certain place in my corporate world where um, the college counseling then, it, it, it still didn't leave because I like expensive shoes. So I kept it um, <laughs> to, buy, to buy shoes. But um, if I let it go, I just wouldn't be able to buy expensive shoes every week. Yep. I could be able to afford to just exist. That's yep. when I started thinking about work-life blend. That's true. And, and you know, I did not have the same situation, but I did have a shitty, shitty first job out of college and worked all the time. So I I do feel that the early stages can be really tough. Uh, You have, you just have less power. Mm. So that's the way I kind of look at it is like, you know, the power to have boundaries means you've, you have the agency to like, what? Cause I can go get another job. Right. Right. So it, it does, it does come with how do you see power? How do you exert power? How do you ask for power? It's, 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 it's important. Mm. So this has been a wonderful conversation with you. This is so enlightening. How can we follow you? What are you up to? How can we support you in your current and future endeavors? Oh, you're so kind. (laughs) Um, So on LinkedIn, you can follow me, just Sally Thornton. Um, I try to post occasionally when there's good data or good stories. Um, Forche has a newsletter that we do only monthly. So we try to keep it short and sweet, where again, whenever I see something new around, oh, here's a good strategy. Um, so it's forshay.com, F-O-R-S-H-A-Y, and then you can, dot com, um, subscribe to the newsletter. Um, I tend to not do as much on Instagram, but we do have some for those younger folks. 
It's mm-hmm. Forte, Forte Talent on Instagram. And I'm, and I'm open to feedback. If people are like, we want to see it on TikTok. I just have not done that. <laughs> I mean, the TikTok's the new thing, Sally. It's, it's the new. It's the new way. Oh, I, I I say that as if I have one. I don't. But I'm just saying, <laughs> is the new. It is the pot call. I the kettle black. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just a I'm just a lurker on those on that platform. But I, I get it. it. I get it. Thank you so much for being here with me. It was a joy. Thank you for having me. Of course. Have a great day. Thank you so much for joining our table today. Remember to follow me on LinkedIn at LexiB and subscribe to our newsletter to get all the hot tea on updates, upcoming guests, and more. Stay honest, stay curious, and above all, stay authentic. Much love, fam. Much love.